All right, welcome to Compete Week powered by Clue. We're kicking things off with the revenue leader track for day one with a rockstar panel of B2B tech leaders. During this session, we're gonna dive into a, a deep and dynamic discussion where our panelists will unravel the potential win-loss uh, win intelligence pitfalls, as well as driving success and deal outcomes. Reminder, if you have questions, put them in the chat. We will be available for questions following the session. And let's just dive right in. So I'm gonna introduce the panel to you. We're gonna start with Jess Iandiorio. Uh, Jess is the CMO of Starburst, the data lake analytics platform company, not the candy company. Or I don't even know who makes Starburst, Jess. Is it Mars? I'm not yeah, sure. Probably, but you know, probably, we're almost yeah. Halloween. It's America's favorite candy, but it is a marketing challenge, I will tell you. We are not the candy company. I could imagine. I'm sure there's a lot of Starburst at your events. Mm -hmm. uh, last year, Jess and the team over at Starburst raised a whopping $250 million in their Series D at a valuation of a mere $3.35 billion. Jess, how much have you all raised altogether besides the Series I think we're right at $425 total. Um, not, so, yes. not too shabby. Um, prior, prior to Starburst, Jess has held senior level marketing roles at companies such as Miracle, Drift, and Acquia. And there is a theme here you might pick up on. Next, we're gonna go to Meg Fitzgerald. Meg is a SVP over at Insight Partners. If you haven't heard of Insight, they're a top New York City-based VC and PE firm, and they invest in growth stage software companies. As of late last year, December, the firm had over $80 billion in assets under management. And they've invested in over 800 companies worldwide. So uh, welcome, Meg, to the panel. Prior to joining Insight, Meg was also at Acquia uh, as a marketer and has spent time at companies like eBay and Rakuten. Did I say that correctly? Rakuten? Close. Rakuten. Yeah. Rakuten. Rakuten. I, I apologize. Easy commerce company. Yeah. And then Mr. Ray Grady, uh, Ray's our serial CEO for the panel, holding the title most recently at Connexium and prior as the president of Cloud Craze, which he sold to Salesforce for an undisclosed amount. Um, Ray was also an SVP at Acquia and currently sits on a number of boards, including InRiver and Saltbox. Welcome to the panel, Ray. Good to see you, Ryan. Thanks for having me. So let's jump right in. Back in May, Gartner published a piece entitled How to Win at Win-Loss, and it focused specifically on, on revenue leaders. Uh, the piece highlighted how revenue leaders often lack factors that bought in, excuse me, insight into the factors leading to buyers making decisions, as well as uh, factors related to their evaluation process. The piece goes on to reference how most companies lack full transparency into this buyer intelligence. They leverage CRM data, and they really need to pull data from a number of different sources to get a more reliable, holistic view of what's happening within their deals. So the first question goes to you, Jess. I'd love to understand from your perspective, given your experience with win-loss, what is win-loss? What data goes into a great win-loss program? Yeah, I think it's a ton of data. I mean, of course, you're going to look at Salesforce or whatever your CRM is, and you're going to look at winning generally versus winning when there are competitors attached. So we break that out separately. We do a ton of qualitative analysis as well. And so that would 
either come from the reps themselves or it might come through a formal win-loss program like we used to have with Double Check before the Clue acquisition. Um, but we also record all of our calls. And so we can easily, uh, through text analytics, find signal data within the calls themselves. And we're really trying to uncover every single piece of the anatomy of the deal, when we lost and, and when we won, from how they found us, what their pain was, through that whole sales cycle and the sales experience. Um, so we're taking a ton of factors in. Some um, deals get the, the elite treatment where we'll dig in heavily and we'll use a more programmatic approach to understand everything about that buying cycle. Um, but otherwise, we are going to use all the data at our disposal, qualitative and quantitative. And then would you mind sharing like, what kind of tools do you use to capture some of the data that you use to evaluate? Yeah, so we have Salesforce and Tableau. We have a bunch of other systems. So if we're thinking top of the funnel, we're, we're looking across a different stack. We might look at SixthSense to look at buyer insights around purchase intent and then into the funnel, what has happened. And we might look at HubSpot in that analytics period. And then as we're moving down through the, the sales cycle itself, we are going to lean more heavily on just Salesforce data. How fast did the deal move when we won and when we lost? Uh, so timeframes between stages. And we'll also be looking at the qualitative information through calls to try and understand what worked and what didn't as we tried to attach to pain uh, to drive that deal forward. And then when you say we, who is who is involved and in, included in the we? Yeah, it's a it's I mean, it's, it's the executive team, but it's also in terms of the grunt work, that would be our go to market analytics team, our territory management team. Um, we have a team that's basically built out a data based approach to how we set territory. So there's there's less sales art to how they pick patches and and companies they want to work with. And it's much more science behind that. And, and all of these factors are part of that. When we analyze when we have had successful patterns in the past of winning use cases, companies, tech install profile. Then we start to prescribe that into this territory management process, but they're heavily involved in our win-loss analysis so that we can quickly get those insights into iterations in our target accounts. Awesome. Must help to be at a data company crunching all of this data and having all it's a little it's a little around. paralyzing because yes, we're all we're all data driven and we all have these skills. So we want to look at everything. Um, but generally it's it's for the better of the how we plan the territories, how we plan the sales and marketing strategy. Thank you. And then, Meg, from your perspective, you you are working with a lot of different companies at any given time and have kind of oversight of some of their marketing strategies. How do you look at what win-loss is made of? Do you have anything in addition to add to what Jess had mentioned? Yeah, no, I think Jess did an amazing overview. Um, in general, I like to say that your CRM is your lowest barrier to entry. So um, using that as a roadmap, it's definitely not going to necessarily help you get to the why or the level of why that you may want if you're you know, building out a new brand or really looking to drive differentiated positioning in the market. Um, but start with your CRM, use that as a roadmap, use that to help shape the what. And then you know, there's other structured data pieces as well that you can help um, use in terms of just kind of uh, shaping out what you actually want that win-loss program to look like. So things like NPS, things like CSAT. And then there's there's endless, as Jess said, unstructured data um, outlets. So there's social listening channels. So we advise our companies to pay attention to things like peer reviews. Um, as I always say, you know, 
uh, your brand is what people say about you. I actually think Jeff Bezos said this, but your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. And peer reviews are one of the most powerful sources of information to do that. So combining that with an actual win-loss program, pulling those insights in is huge. Um, also, of course, leveraging things like social media commentary um, and, you know, all of the amazing unstructured data that you'll get from those qualitative win-loss interviews if you do have a scaled program. Um, you know, Jess also mentioned Sixth Sense. Intent data is another kind of structured data piece that you can pull in in order to ensure that you're getting that full picture. Awesome. <laughs> now, you mentioned CRM to kick off your, your comments, and I just want to touch on that for a second. We hear a lot from a lot of companies, and it was mentioned in the Gartner piece as well, that CRM data is, is not always the best place to go for, for information, although there are certainly some companies who are dedicated to excellence as it relates to their data and the quality of their CRM. Uh, but in large part, most companies struggle with it. Has anyone on the panel come up with a solution for making sure CRM data is more accurate? Uh, any sort of source of truth that they rely on other than the salesperson entering in opportunity data? No, I think we've been, we've been getting better about what data we ask for. You know, a primary competitor versus a general competitor field, just separating those two categories out allows us to go at who actually were we competing against throughout the whole deal. You know, there's a bunch of names that usually show up, but um, just even that small tweak allows us to get more surgical about which which competitors are we actually winning and losing to. Awesome. Yeah, I, think, I think also just continually revisiting things like disqualification codes. Like, do we have the right list of codes? Is it ideally under 10 or even under seven because you don't want too many and you also don't want the reps just choosing that very first code? Um, and just having a continual feedback loop with the sales team, with the marketing team, with the customer success team on, you know, what's working when you do go into the CRM and enter that information in, um, you know, are these the, the, the best fields? Um, is this the easiest process? What could make this more seamless? Um, because I think a lot of times, you know, it's, it's a set it and forget it situation and things can get dusty really quickly. And what that does is make people not follow the rules. Right. So, um, just continually revisiting and sharing it's a team sport. Yeah, for sure. We, we, we uh, I think some of our, our, the companies that we work with struggle or the people specifically because they don't have the power to change CRM fields. It's, it's something that they want to do, but there's a long list of Salesforce uh, asks to do, and there's his way down on the list. And then there's the whole change management issue. So I see you nodding, Jess. Any, any thoughts on the power of changing Salesforce or CRM um, fields? I think it's a dance because oftentimes product marketing is leaning win-loss analysis. So their incentive is to get as much data as possible out of Salesforce but usually who's running Salesforce is within the sales org. And so they might be more interested in like, hey, marketing, are you doing your job? Let's do a better job analyzing top of the funnel stuff. So you have this dance between who wants what Intel kind of about each function. Um, but as long as you can establish a good partnership where we're, we're all in the boat together, I think you should be able to prioritize getting the right fields in Salesforce. Um, yeah. 
in exchange for giving more information around marketing in some cases. And Ray, Ray, as a CEO, I'm sure that Salesforce requests came uh, up to you during leadership team meetings. And when you were looking for specific data, you probably made changes on your own. But how have you seen Salesforce field work done in the past? Well, I think Jess hit it. I mean, you have to have, I mean, it, 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 you shouldn't look at it from a revenue, uh, a sales team or a marketing team. It's really the revenue team because ultimately at the end of the day, if the if incentives aren't aligned, you know, you may go down the wrong path. Meaning if product marketing is owned by marketing and they're the ones responsible for driving win-loss analysis, getting it back into the roadmap to have a better product, um, you know, you want to make sure that there's no, uh, that people are coming at it from the right, you know, and the best of intentions, which is really ultimately how do we better win and compete in the marketplace? So what I would do is I would really try and break down any maybe existing barriers that would 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 list between or, or would exist between sales and marketing at the at the atomic level. Like, okay, what's what's the definition of a lead? And let's agree on that. What's the definition of opportunity? Let's agree on that. Like let's let's understand is it is it what is is it last touch attribution? How are we going to handle that? Just to make sure that there's alignment across sales and marketing. I think if you do that, the ability to change a field, you know, shouldn't be an issue. Like I, I would have no patience for not changing a field because there was some incentive that wasn't aligned with the overall goal of the organization. And is that a, a once a year type discussion where you're reviewing the CRM fields, making those changes, or is it an ongoing iterative process? I think from, you know, from, from my perspective, it would be, it would be point in time related, right? Like if there was, if there was something that was a blocker or if we weren't getting the right level of insight or, or if we were getting, you know, a false signal from a data set because the field wasn't set up correctly or there wasn't one, we, you know, we'd address it and tackle it. And we would, you know, we'd, we'd add that, we'd add that to the system. Awesome. And then Rick, just sticking on you for a second, given your, your background, uh, starting sales and kind of moving up to the CEO, CEO role at, at various companies, what strategies have you personally used as it relates to taking information that you've collected or had somebody else collect and driving change within the sales organization, uh, leveraging it to whether it's specific actions, overall change, it could be uh, that you're you're looking at new sales strategies, getting rid of people. What 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 have you done with CRM data? I'm sorry, win loss data in the past. Well, I think as a, I mean, self being self reflective, I think as a rep, you know, I probably never lost the deal. It was probably just a dumb customer who made the wrong decision. <laughs> um, but then, but then I think as I, as, as my career grew, you know, you started it. If you listened, if, if you only get the point of view from the sales rep as to why you won or lost an opportunity, you're really not getting the full, the full story, right? So getting, talking to partners, having them help you understand. Uh, understanding the competitive landscape really well, like who are the incumbents, who's coming up, how are they challenging your value proposition, and then ultimately getting great win-loss information from the customer itself. I mean, the the level of insights, Ryan, that we would get, you know, from your organization, it was it, it was amazing, right? And it was very insightful for me when I was a, a sales leader, and then ultimately the you know the the person responsible, you know, the CEO of the organization, to really understand what was important to the customer, why we won, why we lost. Um, I was always candidly more interested in why we lost than why we won, because uh, I felt like that could make us a much better uh, organization. Uh, but no, it, it's really trying to get a full view of the story and not just the story from the rep, which was important to me. And that, I think, led to better outcomes, led to a better product, which ultimately led to a better tool for that sales rep to take to market to maybe win more than, than she was winning before. 
And as a CEO, how do you like to see the win-loss data come together and presented to you? What is the ideal CEO deliverable per se? Yeah, so for me, it would it would be kind of market-based and what was happening and you know, the dynamics within the marketplace. So let's say as an example, we felt like we had some momentum in our SMB segment. I'd really want to dig in to the SMB segment, what ERPs were these customers running, which let's get let's find five that we won and five that we lost in the SMB segment and let's do an experiment there. Or there's a particular vertical market that we seem to be losing. Let's let's dig in to understand maybe we, we won there and now we're not winning there. So let's dig into that and understand like what are the trends? What are we what what are we, what are we underestimating in the marketplace? So we, it, I would not have a consistent, hey, I just want two in the enterprise, two in Europe, two in SMB. It would be kind of dependent upon the momentum of the business. And then we would kind of pick and choose the the segments or the verticals or the types of customers we would talk to. And then just to you, on a company that's scaling so quickly, you must have hundreds, thousands of deals that come through your pipeline. How How is it different when you're looking at so much data? How do you fo- focus in on specific areas and go deep versus just... Mm getting this sea of, of information across. Yeah, I, think, I don't think the fundamentals change no matter what the volume is. So for instance, at the very top of the funnel, for us, it would be S1. That's the first stage of the opportunity. There's a different set of analysis that's going into why are we leaking funnel at that stage? Um, and it is still win-loss data. You can still like measure win-loss against your earliest opportunity stage, but you're going to uncover things like we didn't identify pain. And then you're going to back into messaging and positioning improvements. Once you're in a later stage of win-loss analysis, stage two and beyond for us, that's where you start seeing competitors attached or not attached. And you start realizing, hey, uh, looks like we win more of the deals where competitors are there. Hey, looks like those are real deals and, and everything else wasn't. So you just start to refine your funnel. But I don't think that the um, fundamentals of win-loss analysis change based on what your volume is. You just have to look at these different stages and interrogate them differently to a shared understanding of what does a great deal look like? Um, yeah. And then flipping win-loss to churn, we've had a lot of folks, companies who have had big churn issues over the last year and a half or so. How do you do you treat all the churn data in the same way that you treat win-loss data from an analysis perspective? Or is that a completely different focus area for you, a different yeah, I, I mean, that's where I would say we have we have low volume. So like in good news, bad news, when a, an account churns, the sky falls and everybody is all hands on deck. And we're looking at that from every angle, um, trying to understand where we fe- where we failed, what what didn't go well. Um, we can afford to do that because it's not a large volume. Um, but I do think it needs to be looked at differently. And there's a whole different chain of command and interactions that take place there with customer success teams versus salespeople. So it's a separate beast, in my opinion. And Meg, from your perspective, does churn come into your area of of focus when collecting data, working with different companies? Do you Uh, include that when you're doing brand work for them? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think one of the most powerful things you can do to reduce churn is have that win-loss interview before the loss, right? So be proactive about it and have, you know, really clear notifications in your CRM on when renewals are coming up and have that conversation around how are things going? What could we be doing better? You know, we're coming toward renewal. Um you know, what would you like to see us do differently, right? 
Um, and I think there's opportunity to save a whole bunch of churn doing that. And that should become part of your regular process. Um, in terms of actual churn, kind of win-loss data and how it informs brand, um, yes, absolutely, of course. I would say, um, you know, when it comes to brand, it's, it's of course, every single touch point, but a lot of it is messaging and positioning. So, you know, to Jess's point, that is really looking at kind of like top of funnel. And then when you're in a competitive situation, what are you focusing on that is different, right? Not just better than that specific competitor. And that's where you get a lot of that, those golden nuggets, that really rich color. Um, I think in churn situations, it's the same thing. It's probably more for uh, an expansion, so an upsell or a cross-sell product um, and more on the actual customer experience side of things, all of which is is super helpful, of course, in informing brand. Um, I also think when you're talking to churned customers, it's a really amazing opportunity to understand like what's going on in the market, what is our perception versus competitor A versus competitor B, how are they speaking to your pain differently, um, and you know understanding that by segment, by product line, by geo, um, churn is a huge value out there. And then last question. To round out the panel, maybe we'll start with with you, Meg. If you were to give advice to the people on the, the call today or the viewers of the call today, what one piece of advice would you give to them about how to roll out a strong win-loss program? And then what one thing would you suggest that they avoid? Yeah, um, I think the number one thing is ensure that you are attaching to business priorities from the start. Um, so understanding, you know, what are our big rocks for the year? That is going to help ensure that you have executive buy-in from the start. Um, another kind of quick tip that I've seen work really well is when you actually are building out the interview guides, get the executive buy-in at that point in the process. Chances are, if your CRO and Ray, you can tell me if this is true, but chances are that if your CRO is helping construct and shape the actual interview guide, they're going to be really interested in what the answers to those questions are. Um, so those are just two tips, kind of very simple and actionable in terms of ensuring that um, the program goes well, buy-in and um, alignment from the start. Uh, ooh, I think. I think the biggest fall down that I see repeated over and over again when it comes to win-loss is that you do all this work and the insights sit in a Google sheet somewhere and no one ever sees them except for maybe product marketing. And so I think establishing some sort of regular readout cadence where people are actually looking forward to it, like they're looking forward to the feedback, reps are looking forward to that coaching moment, um, doing that on you know a quarterly if you're so lucky, a monthly basis um, and having that across every single function within the organization or even at the company-wide level, um, making the insights relevant and actionable to every single person in the organization is absolutely critical. So I think having a cadence around sharing, celebrating those coaching moments and those opportunities to improve, and then ensuring that whatever insights you are extending are actually actionable to the viewer. 
Love that. I love the the planning up front and getting the CRO involved in the design phase. That's something that we see work quite often. If they're leaning into it, if they feel some sort of sense of ownership, it becomes stickier. So love that. Ray, you're next on the hook for that question. So what advice would you give? One big piece of advice, and then what would you avoid? Yeah, so I would uh, I, I would avoid having it be a sales led. Uh, initiative. Uh, obviously, I want the CRO to be part and parcel of the types of questions we're going to ask, who we're going to identify. But I think it should be CEO-led because it's a multifunctional um, uh, need, you know, by nature, right? So I, you know, when when I did it, I'd have my my head of product would be there, my head of marketing would be there, my head of service would be there, my head of sales would be there, and we'd review we'd review the win loss together, right? We didn't get the right. If we lost it because we didn't get the right reference, well, that could be a customer success issue that we got to really dig into. If we lost it because of feature function, that could be a product issue. If we lost it because we underestimated the competitive set and uh, we projected, we forecasted something that was never a deal, well, that's a sales issue, right? So I'd want to get everybody at the table um, to ensure that we were kind of looking at it uh, just with, with the what, what the data told us to, to then have them go off individually in their functions to improve it. And then I would also you know, add that I would... Um, twice a year, I think I would sit down with the board and I would, um, and Ryan, you remember these sessions, I would bring you in and I would have you present your, your analysis and your team would present to the board to say, Hey, we, we look at a bunch of different companies and, you know, these are interesting data points that are specific to your business, good or bad. Um, I felt like that could be pretty insightful, uh, to the board that could, you know, give them, you know, insight into what's happening in the market, not just hear from me, but hear from the folks who, you know who are, who are driving these interviews as well, and that would always lead to, um, you know, to to a good to a good dialogue and just you know greater transparency between what we're trying to do as management team level and where the board could help prioritize to put you know to put investment dollars. Yeah, it's interesting how people listen to strangers over people that they work <laughs> with on a, on a regular basis. Uh, I love that that Gartner piece should not have been about revenue leaders; it should have been about CEOs. I think now that now that you've made that comment. Because we we believe that it should be owned by the CEO, but a lot of these programs are kind of pushed to product marketing and and Meg, to your point, the data is not really shared far beyond them. So Jess, you're the last one up on that. I'll just, I'll just everybody else is yeah covered the basis. Yeah, time to think, recap. yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the recap is it's an exact team agenda. It's under the competitive umbrella. While marketing might do some of the programmatic legwork around it, this is an all-company initiative. And so like, don't let it be a product marketing initiative. It needs to be an exact team initiative. And I do think, should you be able to afford it, a third-party intervention on this topic is super compelling. It helps all of the points land without any bias which is, I think, how you make better alignment and progress across these functions who might have a tendency to finger point one direction or another. Um, but I would also just double down on getting in the same room on not just the priority, but how you will measure this program and having a commitment to that measurement system based on your deal sales cycle length, but typically 18 months, you know, so you get a bunch of time that you can measure up uh, the same factors against. Um, there's There might be a tendency to iterate a little too much, um, at least on the attribution model side, for instance. So when you're setting this program up, get in the same boat all the way down to the details of how it will be measured and then commit to the timeframe um, so that there isn't too much tweaking and changing of stories along the way. Awesome. Great place to end the session. Thank you so much for all of your time. I know that you're very important, busy people. So thank you for spending a few minutes with us. We have a bunch of questions in the chat that we'll get to next. Uh, but thanks again to our panelists.
Appreciate it.